Well, good morning again. We are so glad you're here with us this morning. It is our Moving Up Sunday. Uh, we do have a few graduates this year, and yes, we are uh, uh, scholarshipping our students to be able to go to that Passion Conference at the uh, midway point of the, the first semester of college. The reason why we're doing that is because oftentimes that first semester of college is when students uh, start to really start to pull away of things of faith. Not saying anything about our students here, but it's just uh, the data would say that that is a time that people are struggling in their faith. And so we really do believe it's our responsibility as a church is to kind of reach into the future a little ways there, to go six months farther into the future and say, how can we connect with students? How can we remind them of, uh, of their faith and where the basis of their faith is and kind of reconnect at that point? Maybe uh, even be able to redirect only that one semester into their college career and then be able to connect them back. Uh, we got Tim Stewart and Kevin Lamb are both uh, guys who are well involved in our college ministries and our college campuses, and each one of them would tell you that first year of the college experience is a very, very critical year, and we believe we're going to do the best that we can to kind of reach forward into that year uh, to be able to connect students uh, with other believers and do our very best to be able to uh, sustain them in that. So as you saw, we got a handful of students graduating this year. Next year, we've got a whole bunch more. So uh, make sure that you come with your wallets ready a year from now to help us be able to push those kids to the conference because uh, it's going to be a little bit more of an investment a year from now. I realized that 20 years ago, I graduated high school this year. I don't know how many of you are going back in your mind and thinking what you were doing 20 years ago. Maybe you graduated high school 30 years ago, 75 years ago. I'm not totally sure. Uh, some of you have you've been around for a little while, but this is kind of a big deal to kind of remember back 20 years what you were doing 20 years ago. I graduated from Pioneer Central High School. If you don't know where that is, that's in the southern tier. If you were to get on uh, the 290 and head south, you pick the 90 and then head south and then you get on the 400 and then you head south and then you get on 16 and you head south and you continue. It's about 60 miles away. You'll come into Yorkshire Corners. At Yorkshire Corners on the right-hand side, there's Addie's Custard. Uh, that's where I went on my first date with my wife there. So you want to swing by and say hello. You'll take a left, you take a left and you go about two miles down and the high school is on the right, Pioneer Central School, like I said, about 60 miles south of here. That's where I grew up and 20 years ago graduated there from high school. Uh, during the graduation ceremony, I was in a quartet, an acapella quartet, and we sang the national anthem there for our graduation ceremony. And this was actually the last time that we were going to sing. We had, we had gotten the chance all four years we were in high school to sing the national anthem at the graduation ceremony. And so, to be totally honest with you, I don't really remember anything spectacular about the ceremony because we had been in four of the ceremonies and we had played, I had played in the band in four of the ceremonies and you played the song Pomp and Circumstance over and over and over again. So that all kind of cycles uh, over in my mind. It's, it all kind of runs together. But what doesn't run together is I remember, maybe you remember this too, after the ceremony was over, after they released us, after they clapped and we threw the, the hats in the air and all that, and then we come out of the building and I started, uh, I remember taking pictures with my family there out in front of the high school and all of a sudden you realize, oh, this is it. Like, it's over now. We take pictures and it's over. We won't be coming back here uh, as a student ever again, and, and, and that kind of season of life 
is over. That transition is going to begin very suddenly. And for me, that transition was sudden because two weeks later, uh, I was standing on some yellow footprints at Paris Island, South Carolina, and things were suddenly drastically different. Uh, my girlfriend had broken up with me. I was a thousand miles away from home. Uh, the three guys that I was going to boot camp with, shoulder to shoulder, and we were going to be in the Marine Corps together, uh, like step one when we got there was remove them from me, and they went this way, and I went this way, and we never saw each other again uh, in that process. And so, like, everything was upside down, and you're going, what happened? And the transition was, was a pretty harsh one. As I was thinking back about it this week, I realized that actually that transition didn't just happen at that graduation ceremony or in that moment. That transition had ha happened over the previous year. Uh, as I talked about last week, that the fall before that, 1998, my grandfather passed away. And uh, he was a, a person who was a very strong character in my life, and I had spent my life following him around the farm. Uh, he literally had the largest feet I could ever imagine. And so I literally followed him around the farm in the snow, walking in his footprints. And he had one, his right foot was a little cattywampus, and it was kind of off to the side. And so I followed him around in his footprints. And then that fall in 1998, he passed away. And as I talked about last week, my father was pretty significantly changed by that. Something inside of him uh, broke inside of him, and he was a much softer uh, person who, who had uh, the ability to cry and be concerned over some things that didn't ever seem like was there prior to that. And so in that process, I'll tell you that I really thought that I could grow up to be like my grandfather. My grandfather had run the family farm for a number of years. He had started the thing. I was the fifth generation on the family farm, and I had every intention of staying there. High school is as far as I wanted to go with education. I wanted to stay on the family farm. And the, the big change that I thought that I was going to bring to the, the next generation of the family farm was that we were going to maybe not do as much with cows, and I wanted to get into horses. I loved horses, and I thought maybe we could have a few horses and kind of transition the farm in that direction. But soon after my grandfather passed away, my parents sat me down and talked to me and said um, what the future was going to hold for me that wasn't part of my plans, and it included them kicking me out of the nest. And they said, you're not going to stay here on the family farm. You're not going to do this at least for a year. You see, my grandfather never allowed my dad to leave the family farm. He stayed there right out of high school and just continued day, the day one after high school. He just continued, continued, and continued. And he wanted, if nothing else, he wanted me to leave for at least a year, go to college, see what else was out there. And if I wanted to come back, I was welcome to. And so that next fall and going into the next spring, I looked for opportunities. What would be next? What could I try? Uh, different scholarship opportunities. My parents handed me a packet of information of all the scholarship things that I could turn in. Uh, and they said, get to work. And they, they were planning to kick me out of the nest. I didn't like that at all. I don't know how many of you were kicked out of the nest. I, that doesn't sound like any fun at all. And so I, I started doing some of these uh, college scholarship applications and different things like that, and it turned out that one after another, the colleges were not nearly as impressed with me as I was with me. Did any of you have that experience? I thought that I was pretty hot stuff, and they thought I was pretty regular stuff. 
And so I would uh, take an take a audition for a music scholarship, and, and I was told, yeah, I think we could give you a, a few dollars for this, and then here's the rest of the bill it's going to cost you to come to school here. Or um, I know that I went to one of the colleges around here, and, and I thought it was pretty hot stuff when it came to pole vaulting. And, uh, and so I showed them a few videos of what I did, some of the records that I had broken at our school. And literally, the, the coach at the school said, if you were a girl, We might consider giving you a scholarship, <laughs> but probably not because there's girls doing better than you are right now. And then the Marine Corps recruiter came along, talked about this thing called the United States Marine Corps, and they said also, I did a music scholarship audition, which was on saxophone, so I did this audition and they, they also weren't very impressed with me. Uh, but they had a plan for how they were going to train me and, and, and coach me up and, and potentially uh, allow me to be a great musician in the United States Marine Corps Band. They didn't tell me that if it didn't work out, I was going to be a rifleman one way or another, but it worked out. So what ended up happening is, is that I decided to sign up. I was 17 years old, decided to sign up for the military. My parents had to sign up for me. And like I said, I graduate high school, I go into the military. Two weeks later, on my birthday, I start boot camp, and the drill instructors were not impressed that it was my birthday, and I was turning 18. They could care less. You see, everything happens for a reason. I'll get into a little bit of detail on this today as we get into this, but everything does happen for a reason. I believe that to be true. Graduates, everything happens for a reason. Fifth graders becoming sixth graders this morning, everything happens for a reason, and the things that you've gone through in your life up to this point does happen for a reason. And when, when you start to look back on it, and those of you who have a lot more than 20 years uh, in your pocket after high school, you know that a lot of those things uh, do shape you and mold you and form you into who you are. So the transition for you this morning, maybe you're not a graduate, maybe you're not thinking about kind of the school cycle, but there are some transitions that you are going through that you may not be comfortable with. That transition may be bumpier than you expected. You also need to catch this truth this morning, that everything does happen for a reason. So let me share with you this morning why. Will you get your Bibles out this morning? Get your Bibles out. We're in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. And I'll read from verse 36 here, and this is going to kind of give us a synopsis of where we're headed today. Everything comes from Him. Everything happens through Him. Everything ends up in Him. In that we will always glory, always praise. Yes, yes, yes. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that it comes alive this morning, that there will be something to take away today that we can grab a hold of as many of us go through different transitions in our lives, realizing that, God, you are at work, you are in control, and you are the one who is going to get the glory. And through that, Lord, we trust that you have a place for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you've got your bulletins this morning, there's an outline in there, a white sheet of paper so you can follow along. Let me read this statement again. Everything comes from Him. Everything happens through Him. Everything ends up in Him. Always glory. Always praise. Yes, yes, yes. Or if you're reading through the King James Version or another version, it would say, in all things, amen. And all God's people said, amen. Yes, yes, yes. 
We're going to get to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which is next week. And Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 is going to say this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So the first verse of chapter 12 is going to say, therefore, I urge you, and then he's going to give you this command that we will offer ourselves in worship to God. The word therefore, as we say oftentimes, is therefore a reason. It's there for chapters 9 through 11 that we have been in in this sermon series called Hope. And so in this sermon series that we deal with here, we really, we, we started out with, remember, that Paul was dealing with anguish over the fact that the people of Israel had gone far from God. In Romans chapter 9, we talk about how hope will stabilize us in the storm, and the storm that Paul is going through, and the storm that Paul would be going through is going to be difficult. And the people of Israel are going through a difficult time as they're under the Roman rule and Roman oppression. They're going through some tough stuff, but that hope could stabilize them in the storm. And as we've talked about moving through this sermon series, the word hope is not present anywhere in verses or chapters 9 through 11. And so we're going through a very dark space, particularly the Apostle Paul as he is writing this. And so we said when all appears to be lost, remember God has provided a way of mercy. And then we realize that hope will increase our faith and understanding that God, the gospel is the good news for all, the Jew and the Gentile. That means those of you who are coming, some of you are here this morning, you're coming from a Jewish tradition. You're coming from a, a spot where you can actually look at scripture when it talks about the Hebrews and the Israelites, and you can actually connect your lineage to that. There's not many of you in the room. Most of us are what we would call Gentiles, what scripture calls Gentiles, those who are far from that relationship but have been grafted in. And so we learn that the gospel is for every single person. The gospel is the good news for all people, and so we will proclaim it to all people. Then we talked about in chapter 11 how hope moves us forward. This quote from Zig Ziglar that difficult roads will often lead to beautiful destinations, so we keep moving forward, and the best is yet to come. And so if we look through that lens as we pull out of Scripture, this in, in chapter 11, verse 11, verse 1 is, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 1, this question is asked. I asked then, the Apostle Paul says, did God reject his people? By no means, he says, I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the Scripture says in this passage about Elijah and how he appealed to God against Israel? We talked about how last week Elijah felt like he was alone in the darkness. He was hiding in a cave, feeling like he's the only one left. And yet God has provided a way. God has provided thousands of men who have not bowed their knee to Baal. And in that, that he is reinforcing the fact that there is this remnant that he is keeping uh, aside for himself. And that, and that as we looked at that, Elijah was kept uh, as a person for God. And, and the apostle Paul has been kept as a person uh, that God was going to take care of. And so, no, Israel has not been totally rejected, and neither have you or I. We're also not beyond hope. Verse 15 says, For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what would their acceptance be but life from the dead? 
speaking specifically about the people of Israel. You see, chapters 9 through 11 here is talking very specifically about the people of Israel, very specifically about the transition that they are going through. The reality is, is they are not beyond hope because it is through their rejection of God that there is hope given not only for uh, the Gentiles, but also for some of the Jews. It is because of that rejection that hope can be found. They are not too far gone. They are not beyond reach. No, God is actually using their rejection as a way back to reconciliation. Verse 17 teaches that they are not broken forever. Some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, talking to the Gentiles, you've been grafted in among the others. Now you share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Because of what has happened to the Israelites, you and I have the privilege of being accessed to the nourishing root that is God himself, the way that he has promised things to his people in Israel. He's also allowing and grafting us in to have access to those same promises. So Israel is not without a future. Verse 26 says, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. This deliverer will come. The Messiah will come. The champion will ride in on the white horse. The future is bright. They are not without a future. You, friend, are not without a future. We were reminded of this, and we have to go through this to, to see how the story lies out, because chapters 9 through 11 are bringing us to this verse that we're going to finish up with today that talks about the greatness and the glory of God. And so the title of today's sermon is That Hope Lightens Our Darkness. And after actually writing that down and putting it in print, I don't think that's good grammar at all. Hope doesn't lighten our dark; it lights our darkness, okay? Hope lights our darkness or something like that. But the point is it's dark and we're trying to say that hope brings light to it, okay? Stay with me. Verse 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of our God. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths are beyond tracing out. Take your pencil, your pen, your marker, your highlighter, and just highlight that line. His paths are beyond tracing out. His paths are beyond tracing out. When you try to look back through your life, I started at the 20-year mark for myself this week and just looking back what's happened over the last 20 years. Some of you have a lot more years than that, a lot more uh, convoluted ways that things have moved back and forth. Understand that God's glory is beyond tracing out the path of his story. It is so much larger than anything we can get our arms around. The riches and wisdom of God that are talked about here are indescribably deep. Our kids sing the song, deep and wide, deep and wide. There's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Indescribably deep, indescribably wide. The depth is so deep that it simply elicits from the inspired apostle here as he peers into the depth of God's glory, as he looks up into the sky, into the heavens of the very glory of God. He says, I can't even describe it. All I can tell you, it is deep and it is wide, indescribably so. And so he stands in awe of God. We stand in awe of God. 
Psalm chapter 24, verse 1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and the world and those who dwell in it. It's all his. It's all his. The glory of God is demonstrated around us everywhere we look. The higher you look, the greater God is. The deeper you look, the greater God is. The deeper relationship you have with a loved one, you understand the deepness of the love that God has for you and for me. Not only does God own the earth and everything that is in it, that's including you, but he also owns the reaches of space. He owns the heavens beyond the heavens with all that is there and all that we don't even know how to describe or get our minds around, the angelic beings and and all that has been created. We can't even seem to fathom it all. It's all his, the greatness, the glory, the richness of God. And we understand, or we begin to understand, that nothing exists outside of God. And there's nothing on earth or in heaven that is not God's. He owns it. It's his possession. And he's going to do with it as he pleases. Human wealth, the things that we really uh, put on a pedestal here on earth, is, is nothing compared to the greatness and the richness of God. Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, they are paupers compared to the glory and the richness and the beauty of God. It is so much larger than we can get our heads around. And so the Apostle Paul here is just saying, oh, how deep, oh, how deep, oh, how deep. Here's your first fill-in for you this morning, asking this question, where are you coming from? Where are you coming from? Because everything comes from him. Where are you coming from? Or what's your story? Or how did you get here? Because remember that everything comes from him. (coughs) Chapter 9, verse 4 says, The people of Israel, theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. And from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all and will be forever praised. And he goes on to say, yet they rejected him. The people of Israel, which are specifically written to here in chapters 9 through 11 and talking about them, this is where the grief comes in the Apostle Paul's heart as he talks about these people of Israel. They've been given everything, he says. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. They've been given access to that. They've been given access to divine glory, the covenants. All of these things have been handed to them, and yet they rejected him. The people of Israel, this is the story of where they are coming from. They've been given every opportunity possible to be in a holy relationship with a holy God. And yet, they have rejected him. The Apostle Paul here, specifically the writer of this book, he is coming from strong Jewish stock. On top of that, he is a Roman citizen. And he understands deeply what it means to be connected to something of privilege. He's, he's of privilege because he's a Jew. He's of privilege because he is of Rome. And yet, in the middle of that, we find out as we look in the Acts chapter 7 that he is also, his story, where he comes from, is that he is a murderer, specifically a murderer of Christians. 
In Acts chapter 7, we hear the story of Stephen. Stephen who stands before a crowd, before a mob, looking death in the face and talks about with authority the greatness of God, talks about with authority the way that the Old Testament teaches, the way the Scriptures have taught and demonstrated the need for the Messiah, and that the Messiah, the man that we talk about who is on the cross, Jesus Christ, that those who were standing in front of him wanted to hear nothing of. He's saying, he is the Messiah, he is the one that you've been waiting for, and you crucified him. And standing there, encouraging the mob, pushing them forward is the Apostle Paul. It says he is holding the cloaks of those who are going to kill him. This is where the Apostle Paul is coming from. This is where he is coming from. Where are you coming from? Everything comes from him. Every part of your story, everything that you've been given, everything that you can possibly get your mind around, understand that it comes from those deep riches of God, whether you believe it or not. You see, there was a time that the Apostle Paul did not believe that. There was a time when the Apostle Paul, when his name was Saul, he did not subscribe to that truth, and yet it was still true. Friends, if you are here this morning and what I'm describing to you seems foreign and what I'm describing to you doesn't quite seem to add up for you, that doesn't mean it's any less true. The God of the universe and his immense glory and unfathomable riches owns everything. He is in control of everything. Everything comes from him. Another date that's important to me this time of year is that six years ago, and some of you were very connected to this, others you realized was happening, that six years ago we planted a church called Renewal Church in North Tonawanda. That's, we're coming up on the six-year mark. Can you believe it? Six years ago, there was a group that was sent out from this church to go to North Tonawanda. We had gotten the word that this church in North Tonawanda, First Baptist Church, North Tonawanda, was going to be closing its doors. First Baptist Church of North Tonawanda had been around for 150 years. This was now their third church building. They had a million-dollar facility, and they were in a great location. And the gospel had gone out in that, that, that location for many, many years. But in recent years, that was not the case. In recent years, things had come apart. In recent years, they had gotten a very bad reputation in the community. They had gotten a reputation as a church who shunned and pushed away anyone who went against their teaching. Anyone who has broken relationship with the church was going to be pushed away and shunned back into the community. Anyone who didn't, didn't agree with some of the things that were going on internally in the church was going to be pushed away. They were a church that was putting up billboards that were anti-homosexual and putting up billboards that were anti-abortion and doing so in ways that were being very damaging to the community and the people around them. And the location that they had there in the community was one that had a lot of visibility. And so it's a very visible thing that was happening. And hundreds and hundreds of people once came to that church. It was no longer hundreds. It was no longer 50s. It was no longer 40s or 20s or 10s. There was a handful of people left in that facility, and every time they came, they were reminded of where they had come from and where they were right now. 
They had a bad reputation. They were in a bad spot. And we were coming in supposedly to save the day. That wasn't going to be the case at all because the reality was is that that badge that went with that of being a church in the community, we were going to carry some of the same baggage that they carry as we do here as a church. So the second question I ask you this morning is this. First, if where are you coming from, everything comes from him. The second question is, what are you going through? Because everything happens through him. What are you going through? Because everything happens through him. Going back to Scripture, Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 31, says this. But Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but they pursued it through works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, stumbling stone, as it's written. I lay in Zion a stumbling stone that causes men to stumble, a rock that makes them fall, and one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, and they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. You see, this is what Israel was going through when Paul is writing this. This is what Israel is going through, that they once had access or once felt connected to a holy God. But they had sought their own righteousness through works and through the law. They felt as though they could pursue and get closer to God. And that certainly was not the case. And Paul makes the argument here in verse 4. He's reminding chapter 10, verse 4, Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. A few times a month, uh, at least once a month, a lot of times twice a month, we as a congregation share the table of communion or the Lord's Supper. And on the front of the table, it's written right on the front of the table, it says, this do in remembrance of me. Well, what are we to do in remembrance of me? Well, we are to drink this new covenant in my blood, Jesus says. You see that the, the law that was there for the Israelites, he said, there's a new covenant that is here. He says, I'm not abolishing the old, but I am making a new. I'm, making, I'm connecting the dots, and in doing so, uh, I am going to make something new that you can get excited about and something new that you can find righteousness in, and that is not your own righteousness and your own works. No, you will find that in the person of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus goes to the cross, he says, I am going to fulfill what you will never be able to fulfill on your own. What was the Apostle Paul going through? The Apostle Paul, it says, is going through a dark time because he, he says, I'm going through grief because my people of Israel, these people have, have left God have walked away from him. They've been given every opportunity. He says, it grieves my heart, and I'm sorrowful in it. And you'll find, right, if we read through the, the book of Acts, that it's not only sorrow, that the people, the Jewish people are going to turn on him, and they're going to push him through a trial. They're going to put him through tremendous pressure, and through that, Paul would be shipwrecked. He would be abandoned. He would be imprisoned. Paul would be bitten by vipers and beaten by Roman soldiers. What Paul was going through was not comfortable. It was not fun. It was not easy. He's looking around everywhere. He looks at broken pieces. But as taught here in Romans chapter 11, just like God had a plan for the remnant 
of Israel. God had a plan for the Apostle Paul. And God had a plan for this church in North Tonawanda that Renewal Church would be able to be part of. And so six years later, for Renewal Church specifically, God has worked in that story. Six years later, as we celebrated a year ago, we said the birthday at five years, that now they have a pastor and they have elders and they have a core group of people who are meeting there week after week after week. God has taken those broken pieces and turned it into something beautiful. God is, is taking them through something wonderful. But it took some bumps in the road. It took some bruises. It took them, instead of pushing people away and shunning people away from the church, it was a realization that, no, the church is here for the community. And described specifically as a ministry called Box of Hope was one of the ways that Renewal Church reached out into the community, connected with the local high school. And in that process, the way that the process works is that the local high school finds kids who are on free and reduced lunches, which is 80% of the students in that school, friends on free and reduced lunches, and they, they realize that there are needs in that family that need to be met. And so they said, there's, there's five churches in the area that connected together, so how can we start to meet these needs? And so there's three different times a year specifically that Boxes of Hope does a back-to-school box in September, and then in December they do a Christmas box, and then at the end of the year they do a Food for Finals box. And the high school comes to these churches and says, there are these needs that we have in the school that we as the administration or we as teachers cannot meet or even may not be allowed to meet and help with this need. And so instead of being a church that was pushing people away, all of a sudden there's a handful of churches that say, bring them to us and we'll do our very best to take care of them. And year after year and time after time, we begin to see this thing grow and mature as God is taking them through what was broken and putting it back together. What are you going through? Are you going through a season where your life seems to be broken and it's in pieces around you? Can you trust that God is going to put things back together? Like the Apostle Paul was trusting that God was going to put things back together. Everything happens through him. Here's your last fill-in for you this morning. Particularly for those graduating high school or college, this question makes a lot of sense. But I want you to see it in context. The question is this, what do you really want? What do you really want? Because everything ends up in him. Everything comes from him, everything happens through him, and everything ends up in him. So whatever that bullseye is that you have on the wall, whatever that looks like, whether it's a degree or whether it's a job promotion, whatever it is, whatever you really want, understand that everything will end up in him. Everything will bring God the greatest glory. You see, the Apostle Paul really wanted to take the gospel to Rome. He, just like we read in our textbooks today, that he felt like all roads lead to Rome. He knew that if he could get to Rome, that the gospel would be able to expand tremendously. And so he wanted to go to Rome. Did he know that going to Rome would be in chains? No, I don't believe that he knew that. But God was calling him, and he felt like what he really wanted was to be able to share the gospel in Rome. All roads lead to Rome. What happens here when you look in verse 34, excuse me, in verse 33, verse 33 says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments, who has known the mind of the Lord. 
You see, when you write down, well, what do you really want? Is it really after the mind and the heart of God? Are you digging in deep? Are you trying to find what is the will of the Lord for your life and for mine? Because what do you really want? Understand that sometimes when you put your bullseye on the map and it's not the same as God's bullseye for your life, there's going to be some pain and some suffering and some shipwrecks and some vipers biting that you're going to go through because God's will is going to come through. Everything ends up in him. See, Paul really wanted the gospel to be taken out into the region. He really wanted to see that come. And God was going to use him in tremendous ways, but it was going to be difficult. After what we've seen in North Tonawanda with Renewal Church, it's an exciting thing to be able to say we planted a church in North Tonawanda. And I'll tell you, it is my desire to see churches planted all over western New York. We've organized ourselves as churches, as a church here to say we've got five different school districts, five different corridors, we call them, where we see ourselves living and caring for one another. It would be tremendous if we could say that we are planting a church in each one of those school districts, in each one of those corridors. It would be tremendous to see the gospel go out in that way. But I'll tell you that the way that I've drawn that out in my mind might not have the bumps and bruises that will actually come if God allows that to happen. You understand that? See, we don't ever do that in our own mind. What you really think that you want that's out there, we never put pain and suffering to get to that target there. Because a lot of times our heart isn't aligned with the heart of God. So some of you college graduates, high school graduates, some of you are going through different transitions. Maybe some of you have, I've heard the stories in this very room to say, I thought when I graduated high school, I was going to go to college and I was going to play a sport, but then I got injured and I couldn't play anymore. I couldn't do this anymore. I wanted to be a professional athlete. I don't know if any of you thought that you're going to be a professional athlete. I don't know if any of you thought you're going to compete in the Olympics, but one thing happens and all of a sudden that dream goes away. I want to start a business. I want to start a nonprofit. I want to do this transition that we've got in our minds, what it is that you think that you want to do, what you think that you want to chase. And then tragedy happens, and you come back home, because coming back home means taking care of your family, taking care of your sibling, taking care of your parents, taking care of what needs to be taken care of. And it doesn't seem to fit into that target that you've got on the wall. How do you handle that? What do you do with that? Some of you are in that this morning. When I talk about transition, I'm not talking about just a high schooler going to college or a college student moving out into the job force. I'm talking about what you're going through in your life. It could be a fifth grader becoming a sixth grader. But it might be an empty nester who's, who's getting rid of one of these uh, high school students going off to college. And you're looking around and you're saying, what happens now? I, I, we don't have a relationship with one another. Oh, how do we deal with this now? We've, we've poured our whole lives into our kids. And this transition is something we don't know how this is going to turn out. Maybe there's an empty nest scenario within the home. It's something that we're going to deal with in our house this fall when all of our kids have gone off to school and now Erin's at home by herself. There's a transition that is going to happen there. Maybe you're in a different type of transition of an empty house because your spouse has passed away. 
And all of a sudden, every room in the house is a memory of what was and transitioning to what will be is a very difficult process. Maybe you're someone who's been in a home for a number of years and living even in that situation as a widow or a widower. You're, you're living alone, you're taking care of yourself, but now the transition seems to be coming to light that it's time to move towards assisted living. And your kids don't want to talk about it. Or kids, you're trying to talk to your parents about it. And it seems difficult to have that conversation. The transition seems more difficult than you could possibly imagine. How will we get through this transition? This passage teaches us that in the middle of darkness, there is light. There is hope. As the band comes forward this morning... As the band comes forward this morning, will you turn over a few pages to John chapter 8? John chapter 8, we see Jesus, specifically in verse 12, says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will what? Will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, will have the light of life. As we go through these transitions in life, it is difficult for us sometimes not to feel like we're in a very dark place where we cannot see uh, the right path forward. We cannot figure out where to go next. And Jesus says here that you will have the light of life. But just look up a few verses. Look at the context to where this verse comes out. Because you might be familiar with this verse. Paul has just gotten, or excuse me, Jesus has just gotten done talking to the adulterous woman who is going to be stoned out in the street for her sin, going to be stoned for the fact that she was caught in the middle of the adulterous act. And it's after those verses that Jesus' words come through. He says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Don't you think that in that moment it seemed pretty dark for her? never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Friends, I don't know what transition you're going through this morning. I don't know what you're up against. I don't know how dark the storm clouds may feel. But will you remember this morning? Will you look at this morning what it really looks like when you grab a hold of the fact? Everything comes from Him, everything happens through Him, and everything will end up in him. Everything. Everything. As the ushers come forward this morning, it's a time of offering for our church. Many of you have come this morning prepared to give with your tithes and your offerings, and that's what you're going to drop in the offering plate. Others of you came and you don't really have anything to give or bring or anything like that. Maybe all you have is something that you could write on that connection card, drop in the offering plate and say, I want part of that deep, deep well of the riches of Jesus Christ. Maybe the dark place that you're in this morning is because you have never seen the light. And as we dig into Scripture, specifically as we've gone these last few weeks through Romans, 9 through 11, it seems dark, but again, understand the foreshadowing, the demonstration here of what it looks like for us to worship God when the light comes through. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness anymore, but will have the light 
of life. Friends, if you're here today and you don't know what that light of life looks like, I pray that today would be the day that you write down on that sheet of paper or meet me in the back right after this and I can share with you the light of the world. For those of you going through a transition, going through a change, I trust that the words here are a great reminder to you that you might have forgotten. If you've ever been trained as a lifeguard, if you've ever been around someone who's in the water, they're drowning, what happens is they cannot, they cannot even see or imagine or think anything except the water that's all around them. It's a very dangerous thing sometimes for a lifeguard to go in after someone because they can take you down with them. And the reality is a safety might only be an arm's length away. If you're going through a darkness this morning that you cannot see the light, friend, safety, security, salvation is an arm length away. When Jesus died on the cross, he extended his arms for you and for me. So dear Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that everything is found in you. We trust that we do not know what the future holds, but we know that you hold it. <laughs> Lord, there are some who need to respond today, some who need to write down a note, Lord, or make a decision here today. I pray that you give them the boldness to do so. Lord, to trust that all things will be found in you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it encourages us and lifts our hearts. Pray that we can lift our heads high going out of here today, trusting that you have all things in the palm of your hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.